My name is Sam Shane. I'm back here at the microphone, and it's good to be back. I took a day off last weekend. Uh, time now is uh, 5.14, and what we do on this show is we take a look back at the very big stories of the week. Some of the stories maybe you did not get in your local newscast or your network newscast. Maybe some perspectives that weren't presented to you that were out there and give you a kind of a fresh look at some of the big stories that we are facing in the upcoming weeks, which, of course, is the election. We are 16 days away from the election. Can you believe it? So that means we're 16 days away from all of those annoying uh, TV and radio ads and those annoying flyers that we all receive in the mail, and we'll be able to move on with our lives. But uh, there, there's really no telling how this is all going to turn out. The polls in so many races across the country and in California are upside down. And they're very hard to read, whether it's the governor's race in California. Uh, there are a variety of numbers that are out there that put the spread at 12 points, maybe down to 5 points, maybe even uh, slimmer than that. Uh, th- there are many races nationally that the polls really can't track. It, it depends on who's doing the polling. It depends on the race. President Trump, Joe Biden, both were in Nevada today. They were campaigning hard. That's a very close state, and they want to do very well, particularly in the governor's race there. So they're out there. Uh, also, the governor's race in California. Uh, there was what I can only describe as one of the strangest debates that I have ever witnessed in my career. Uh, it's the debate that no one saw and hardly anyone heard, and it's the only debate in the entire race for governor of California that we're going to get. So we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper here between now and 7 o'clock. And we'll play a few of the clips from that debate. You probably didn't even hear them. Um, also, Hillary Clinton was in the news this past week for a couple of reasons. She did a remarkable interview with CBS. And we're going to play a little bit of that in which she indicated that she didn't think that her husband, Bill Clinton, who was then president, should resign, should have resigned following the Monica Lewinsky affair. And what was her rationale about that? And guess what we heard from the very founder of the Me Too movement with regards to what she said? Not what Hillary wants to hear. So we're going to play both sides of that story for you. And Hillary Clinton also making headlines along with Eric Holder and other leaders of the Democratic Party about a story that's getting not a ton of coverage, frankly, and it's happening with more and more frequency. Republican leaders who are being attacked, being confronted, and it happened again last night. And so we're going to start going through and showing you this pattern. And what does this mean for Election Day? Because will it have implications? Will Brett Kavanaugh's hearing have implications? How does all of this manifest itself in 16 days? Because I think it will. I think it will. I'm not quite sure how, because there are people on both sides of the aisle that believe it will either help Democrats or hurt Democrats, help Republicans or hurt Republicans. But the divisiveness is very, very clear. Okay, latest attack, latest confrontation. Diners confront Mitch McConnell. He's no stranger to this. This was at a restaurant. A small group of angry diners confronted Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell at a restaurant Friday night. And they were in turn met by calls from other customers who were in the restaurant at the time to leave that Kentucky Republican, Mr. McConnell, alone. 
So TMZ was there. They have video. Well, they weren't there, but they obtained videotape from, from a woman who was there, and she videotaped the confrontation. And it shows at least one diner berating McConnell on issues like Social Security. This was at a restaurant in Louisville, yelling at McConnell, arguing with Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow. Elaine Chow is also the wife of Senator Mitch McConnell. Four men first confronted McConnell and said, oh, yeah, why don't you just get out of here? Why don't you leave our entire country? Other diners then yelled at the protester and told him to leave. The woman who recorded this incident said the protester slammed his fist at McConnell's table, threw food out of the restaurant. If this sounds familiar, it is. This marks the latest hounding of a Republican or Trump administration official from a restaurant. Last month, Senator Ted Cruz, Republican, forced out of a restaurant by protesters who were angry at his support for confirmation of now Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Then let's go back to July. McConnell confronted by more protesters when he left a restaurant, also in Louisville, who reportedly yelled, abolish ICE, no justice, no peace. So those are just three examples, and there are more. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she's out at a restaurant. She's confronted by protesters, telling her to leave. Well, this type of behavior is becoming all too common. And there are some critics who say that not only are the, the leaders of the Democratic Party not doing enough to stop it, that they're actually encouraging it. They're calling for it. And they point to, most recently, Hillary Clinton, who said in an interview this past week that the time for civility is over. She said that Donald Trump, President Trump, has undermined the integrity of the nation's highest court and that it is time for Democrats to be, quote, tougher on their opponents. I want to read for you a quote. This is a direct quote from Hillary Clinton's interview with CNN. And think about this. You know which party she's talking about. But as you listen to these words, could this apply to both parties? Here, Here is the direct quote. When you're dealing with an ideological party that is driven by the lust for power, and is funded by corporate interests who want a government that does its bidding. She used that quote to describe the Republican Party. But I'm going to read it for you again. Could this not describe the Democratic Party? Could this not describe virtually most, if not all, political parties? Here it is again. When you're dealing with an ideological party, which, by the way, parties are ideological, I believe, that is driven by the lust for power, which I believe is at the very essence of politics, correct? And is funded by corporate interests who want a government that does its bidding. In other words, people who give money to campaigns, corporations, wealthy individuals who give money to their political figures. George Soros on one side of the aisle. That direct quote could go to any particular political party and not just Republicans. And I just found that astonishing that she used that to to identify just the Republicans. She went on to say, you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. And here's the puncher. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. So those were the words of Hillary Clinton. And they come in the wake of words of Eric Holder. And we're going to play you a quick clip of that before we take a break. Eric Holder is the former attorney general under President Obama. Very good friends with Barack Obama. He and his wife are good friends with the Obamas. Very tight. He is a leading Democrat. 
This is a speech that was recorded, a speech that he gave recently to fellow Democrats, where Eric Holder said it is time for Democrats to go low. He starts off by talking about Republicans. They have used the power that they have gotten for all the wrong things. They want to keep themselves in power. They want to cater to the special interests. It is time for us as Democrats to be as tough as they are, to be as dedicated as they are, to be as committed as they are. Michelle always says, Michelle Obama, I love her, you know, she and my wife like really tight, um, which always scares me and Barack. But Michelle always says that, you know, when they go low, we go high. No. No. When they go low, we kick them. That's Eric Holder. He's the former Attorney General of the United States of America and a leading Democrat. And he's telling Democrats, we kick them. When they go low, we kick them. We're not taking the high road. Hillary Clinton says so much for civility. Forget it. It's out the window. And now we're seeing this behavior. Does this manifest itself, do you believe, on Election Day? Is this the type of rhetoric we should be hearing from our political leaders on either side of the aisle? Is this doing our country any good? Or, on the flip side, will this generate excitement in the base for the Democrats and help their turnout? The phone number here is 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. You can also check us out at kfbk.com. Uh, my name is Sam Shane. This is Weekend Live. Our structure is a little bit different. We're going to take a break. But on the other side, we are going to hear from a number of leading experts who are going to say this strategy by the Democrats could really backfire. What do you think? Give us a call. Went out with the kids today, got pumpkins. Then I came in to do the radio show, and I just hear on our news update that if we carve up the pumpkin, it could attract skunks and raccoons. Now what do I do? That's a conundrum. (laughs) Phone number here is 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. We are discussing the civility or lack thereof in our political system today. Another example for you before we get into more audio clips. This happened just the past week in Minnesota. Two Republican candidates for state office punched in Minnesota. Shane Meeklin, a first-time candidate and now a victim of this violent hysteria at a restaurant. He was speaking with local voters. He's now recovering from a concussion that resulted from a completely unprovoked sucker punch to his head. And then there's the story of Minnesota State Representative Sarah Anderson. She was punched by a man because she confronted the man as he committed the criminal act of destroying campaign yard signs. That was just in Minnesota just the past week. We have heard Representative Maxine Waters. We have played many clips of her on this show demonstrating her call to action by her fellow Democrats. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton just read that for you. Former Attorney General Eric Holder just played that for you. All of them calling on supporters to harass Republicans. Hillary Clinton even admitting in an interview this past week, you cannot be civil as long as Democrats are in the minority in Congress. What do you think about this tactic? 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. I'll tell you what Steve Scalise thinks about it. 
Not much. This guy we all got to know very, very well, Steve Scalise, a Republican congressman. He was shot and he was nearly killed by a supporter of Bernie Sanders. He was at a baseball practice for Republican members of Congress. They play every year in a baseball game, and they were practicing for the big game. He was shot, almost died. And he recently wrote an op-ed piece calling for an end to these violent attacks on Republicans. This is an interview that he did with Fox News. And he says that he is troubled by the amount of violent attacks that we are seeing on Republicans today. Here's that clip. You're seeing more and more of this from the left, and and there's no place for it. And what I wrote about was uh, that when you see these kinds of things being said, it is inciting people. And frankly, it's not the direction that we should be going. It's not what our country's all about. We're a great country that that celebrates the fact we can actually disagree with each other. We can Mm -hmm. disagree with our government. That's the thought. That's the idea that we can disagree and that we can agree to disagree. And that if you lose the argument, if you lose at the ballot box, then the way that you win is you come back and you win the next election on your ideas and your hard work and your foresight. And an understanding of what's going on in America and what's important to the American people. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to go to the ballot box, they're the ones who are going to vote, they're the ones who are going to put you into office. And if you don't like the makeup of the Supreme Court, then that is why it is so important that you get out and vote for your candidate when it's time to vote for a president of the United States and members of the United States Senate. So Scalise goes on during this interview. He's urging leaders from the Democratic Party to denounce these violent attacks against Republicans. I would like to see leaders on both sides calling it out. You're seeing leaders on on the right calling it out. You're not seeing any leaders on the left calling it out. In fact, you're seeing some of the leaders on the left inciting more violence, calling on more violence instead of saying there's no place for it. What do you think? Is our leadership doing enough here to call it out, to denounce it, to tell people to stop it? to create a civil discord in America rather than an uncivil discord. 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. Are they doing enough? Does Scalise make sense to you? He doesn't think that this is getting enough attention. He thinks that this is a story that's getting buried. We're hearing a lot from a lot of media outlets about what's transpired in Saudi Arabia, with the journalist who was killed, Jamal Khashoggi. And yes, it's very troubling, and the president is wrestling with this. He said he was going to fact talk to the new crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, today, possibly tomorrow, that maybe we would hear some sort of a resolution on the matter by Tuesday. Yeah, it's a big story. Everybody's covering that story. And what Scalise is saying is, We have an issue in our country internally, in our political system, that is very, very destructive. And if we're not careful, this thing could go off the rails. Where if we think it's okay for people to walk into restaurants and sucker punch a candidate, and it goes on again and again and again, this type of harassment, maybe not a sucker punch, maybe it's yelling, maybe it's picking up food and throwing it out the door, Maybe it's acting like a child who can't get what they want. 
are we going someplace here that Scalise is concerned that we're going to get to if we're not careful? He went on to say that the violent attacks will backfire at the ballot box. Here's that clip from Steve Scalise. This isn't what politics is about in America. It's not what the founding of our country was about. It was about freedom of speech, freedom of expression, not violence against anybody. And, you know, Margaret Thatcher used to say, first you win the argument, then you win the vote. Uh, they're not winning the argument if they're resorting to violence. And ultimately, they'll lose the vote if they continue to call on violence. Does it look like an act of desperation? I mean, is this just a... If you don't have any way forward, if you can't give someone a reason to understand your point of view or to come over to your side, is this just like a last-ditch tactic, the last hurrah? Uh, I'll tell you what, before we get to, because there's a real interesting uh, clip that we're going to play in a second uh, from a leading senator who totally agrees with what we just heard from Steve Scalise, that this thing could completely backfire. But before we do that, let's get to Ivan from uh, Somerset calling in on a Saturday evening. Ivan, how are you, sir? Great, thank you. So what do you what do you think about about all of this? The the lack of civility in our political discourse today. Well, it just reminded me of something I was watching a historian called um, William Federer and he was telling a story about before the, the Civil War in uh, Congress it was an abolitionist. I think that was a person against slavery. He was giving a passionate speech in Congress. And mm-hmm. someone from the other side uh, had a cane, and they started beating him up. And no one could do anything because someone had a gun. So in the next Congress, everyone brought their guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, look, Ivan, if you take a look back in, through the history books, uh, look, there, there, there was some downright ugly, violent fighting going on, I mean, with among lawmakers. Not not just political groups who are walking into a restaurant and trying to harass. I mean, they got after it. You, I mean, you're absolutely correct. So that was all. I thought was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that our long well. Do you think we're going to head down that path? I mean, when you see this kind of behavior, are we headed in that direction in your estimation? I don't know. You don't know. No. Okay, Ivan. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the phone call. But he brings up a great point. There were gun duels back in the day. Out-and-out duels. That's, that's how they solved it. Uh, let's get to this quick bite before we, uh, before we go to the break, because I think this, this will wrap it up rather nicely. This is from uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, and boy, we've heard a lot from him, of course, during the Kavanaugh hearings. and uh, He gave one of the most impassioned speeches I have ever heard during the Kavanaugh hearing in Congress. That said... Lindsey Graham also conducted an interview in which he concluded, he came to the same conclusion that we just heard from Steve Scalise. He went on, to, he, he, he just said that Republican, uh, he said that this election may very well come down to the violent, ugly behavior we have seen recently. It will play a role, he says. Had a bunch of people around me filming me, yelling at me, saliva all over my jacket. It was pretty bad, and I can only imagine what my other colleagues went through. So this is on the ballot. What do you want America to look like? Once the election's over, do you want those who lost to try to physically assault those who won? Or do you want to have an election, once it's over, we try to work together and govern the country? You think it's going to play a role? Do you think it matters at all? Does Brett Kavanaugh matter at all? We're 16 days away. 
Does this type of behavior play a role at all or not at all? 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. My name is Sam Shane. This is Weekend Live. On the other side, the Hillary Clinton interview about her husband, the former president, Bill Clinton. Should he have resigned following the Monica Lewinsky affair? What she said about it, how she defended him, and what the founder of Me Too had to say about what Hillary Clinton said. We're back in a moment. The phone number here is 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. My name is Sam Shane. This is Weekend Live. It is 10 to 6. Thanks for joining us. We're here till 7 o'clock tonight taking a look at some of the big stories of the week before us and the week behind us. This happened this week on Friday. Before we get into Hillary Clinton denying that her husband Bill Clinton abused power as president and that interview, which startled many, we will get to this. Trump administration on Friday pledged to slash the thicket of federal environmental regulations that govern the Delta and much of California's water supply aiming to increase water deliveries to people in the San Joaquin Valley. Trump's memo drew quick reaction from California officials who have been fighting the Trump administration on a number of fronts, and they said that water supply can coexist with environmental goals. So there they go, the Trump administration doing what they said they would do, trying to thin out the regulations and try to get more water into the San Joaquin Valley. Trump said of California's water situation, quote, what's happened there is a disgrace. They've taken it away. There's so much water, they don't know what to do with it. They send it out to sea. They don't let the water come down into the valley and into the areas where they need water. Farm groups applauded the president's initiative. That's no surprise. Environmentalists immediately pounced. That's no surprise. The environmental groups saying Trump is trying to gloss over science and that his initiative would endanger fish populations who are, which are defenseless. So there you have that. I wonder how that will play. Oh, by the way, we have an election coming up in 16 days, and he makes that announcement. I wonder if that was politically motivated or not. Isn't it funny how some of these really big announcements happen right around, oh, pre-November? <laughs> what do you think about that? 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. The water fight between the Trump administration and the California state agencies. Okay, let's get to Hillary Clinton. This was really quite the interview. Raised a lot of eyebrows. Many people questioning, does she have a double standard here? So she does an interview with CBS within the past week. And she says in this interview with CBS News that Bill Clinton, when he was president, should not have resigned after the Monica Lewinsky scandal. So we want to play a couple of clips for you on this, and then we're going to get to reaction from the woman who founded the Me Too organization, the founder of Me Too. And it didn't take her long to respond to this. Okay, here's clip number one. Hillary Clinton asked if her husband, 
then-President Bill Clinton should have resigned following his affair with then-White House intern Monica Lewinsky. In retrospect, do you think Bill should have resigned in the wake of the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Absolutely not. It wasn't an abuse of power? No. No. Wow. That was one of those bites when I was putting the show together where I went back and played it about two or three times just to hear it over and over. She did it with CBS, aired on CBS This Morning Show. And you know what? Congratulations to CBS for posing a tough question. We, we need more tough questioning from our reporters on both sides. Okay, next clip that I would like for you to play for you. This is Hillary Clinton, again, defending her husband, Bill. This time, and, 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 tr- and try to follow her on this logic, because it's, it was a little bit of a stretch for me. This time, she suggests that Lewinsky was a grown woman who knew that sh- what she was doing and therefore was not a victim of sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. There are people who look at the incidents of the 90s and they say a president of the United States cannot have a consensual relationship with an intern. The power imbalance is too great. Who was an adult. Who was an adult. What now, what does age have to do? I think we could call just a few people who run the HR department in some very big corporations, and they may have just a couple of issues with that answer. She was an adult. So therefore, if you're an adult, you're not harassed or sexual misconduct or pressure did not take place. Uh, that just a uh, you know that 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 line of con- con- convenient excuse, which fits her life, her mold, her vision. But if it were somebody on the other side of the aisle, if it, if that were Brett Kavanaugh, if those circumstances were in place with Brett Kavanaugh, and were proven and corroborated, which they were, by the way, with Monica Lewinsky. Do you suppose that Hillary Clinton would have given those answers? 916-921-1530, Here on Weekend Live. So then we get the response from the Me Too founder. And it didn't take long for her to respond. The founder of the Me Too movement strongly disagreed with Hillary Clinton's recent statement that her husband did not abuse his presidential power when he had an affair with a White House intern. Direct quote from Tarana Burke, quote, sexual violence is not about sex. It's about power, and it's about the abuse of power. She gave that interview on Tuesday of this past week. It is tragic and it is wrong for Hillary Clinton to deny that former President Bill Clinton abused his power when he began an affair with a 22-year-old Monica Lewinsky who was an intern. Remember, he's the president of the United States of America. And the founder of Me Too says, this isn't about sex, this is about power. It always has been by definition. Burke went on to say, quote, it's an absolute abuse of power. Two people made a choice, and one of those people was the most powerful man in the world. Lewinsky has said that the relationship was consensual. Quote, 
you're talking about an age dynamic, but you're also talking about the President of the United States. The amount of power, the amount of accumulated power that is in that position alone versus an intern, it is absolutely an abuse of power, according to Tarana Burke, the founder of the Me Too movement. So I thought that was kind of a remarkable development over this past week. Not sure what your take is on it. 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. By the way, if you uh, want to hear this two-hour program in its entirety or in just a few parts, you can go to kfbk.com and there's a podcast section. You can click on the tab at the top of the page and listen to the podcast of Weekend Live. So we've got some business to do. On the other side, we're going to talk more about the governor's debate that took place, the debate that nobody saw and hardly anyone heard, and it's the only one that we are going to have. What's that all about? I'm Sam Shane. This is Weekend Live. Welcome to Weekend Live. I'm Sam Shane. Uh, Thanks for being with us here on this Saturday evening. It's uh, 6.07. We do this every Saturday evening from 5 to 7 o'clock. We are live here in the studios of KFBK, taking a look back at the stories of the previous week, and we look forward to what's coming up. And we welcome your phone calls as we discuss a number of different issues and dive into topics that maybe didn't get covered, or at least in the perspective that we do it, or the depth that we try to do it on a weekly basis. 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. Uh, we're going to get into the governor's race, some of the new polling that is out, and the strangest debate that may have ever taken place in a gubernatorial race in the country. Uh, with that said, we want to go to the phones right now because Frank from Sacramento calling in on the Monica Lewinsky-Bill Clinton affair and what Hillary Clinton had to say about it and uh, how the Me Too organizers responded. Frank, how are you? What What are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's uh, I think, uh, you know, Monica Lewinsky is a grown woman, a uh, college graduate, I guess, and uh, she should have known that, uh, you know, she could report it uh, to her supervisor or to somebody else, news media, somebody, if she felt harassed. Yeah, but don't. But what do you? What about the the founder of Me Too said that sexual uh, harassment, molestation, uh, this all has to do not about sex. It has to do with power. And here you have the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, having a relationship with an intern. You, do you do you find that at all? I mean. No, no, I, I, I think that I think that's uh, really, you know, appalling that uh, right. the president would do that. Uh, and everything, all this conduct, would, you know, I'm really just uh, disappointed. Uh, but, um, you know, she she knew she knew very well that he was married. Uh, he you know, I don't I don't condone that at all. The, either on either party. But she went into willingly into that arrangement. And even though he was president, she knew. She knew. I mean, she knew what was going on. Well, and so did he. He said, "Once, it, once she, once she becomes consensual, uh, then you know, aside from being married, well, uh, Frank, I, don't see, I don't see it as harassment." You're, but you're getting into an area uh, that there are a number of people who run HR departments all across this country would say uh, that's not necessarily how we view it, and that's not how the law views it. Uh, this is about using your power over an individual. And did she feel, did, look, did she in the early stages maybe feel pressured that she had to do this because he is the president of the United States? I mean, there are other factors that go into this other than just it being consensual. And it's a, and it's about power. 
Well, I don't agree that it's all about power. I think it's about, uh, you know, them, both of them wanting to be with each other. Do you think he should have? Do you think he should have resigned? And, and do you, and and are you at all oh, surprised? Yeah. Oh, heck yes! I mean, and, 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 and when Hillary Clinton and when Hillary Clinton says no, he should not have. Absolutely not. What do you think? Oh, she's wrong there. Mm-hmm. Definitely wrong. I used to be a Democrat. I'm 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 for Trump now. But I mean, this uh, our politics has gotten so slimy that you know it, the whole process. You know, I, I'm sure all these politicians, including Bill Clinton, started out as young and. Uh, you know, ambitious and ideal, idealistic. And, but once they go down the sewer of politics, by the time they come out, they're all slimy. They're all bought and paid for. And, and you know, Bill Clinton I, lost his, I don't know when, but he must have lost his moral campus somewhere. Okay. Uh, okay. Frank, thank you. Thank you, okay. very, thank you very much for the phone call. Frank calling in from uh, Sacramento. Bill is on the line. He's also from Sacramento, and uh, he joins us. Hi, Bill. Uh, what are your thoughts about all of this? Hey, sir. Uh, I used to be in the military, and uh, if you're a married person in the military and you have relations with someone outside your marriage, it's called UCMJ. We can go to jail for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe the president of the United States is the boss of the military and should be under the exact same thing. So whether Monica Lewinsky was an adult or not, the president should be under the same rules. But, yeah, while, while he is the commander-in-chief, I don't believe that the law exactly reads that way. I don't know that he falls under the no, umbrella of, of military law. But, but should it? Because his subordinates well, have to follow that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um, but we, we also have to remember that he is the president of the United States, and, and, and therefore— because he is the leader of the free world, uh, you know, there might be some circumstances which aren't exactly the way that they are are applied in, say, the military. That's not to Correct. say that. Any, that's Donald not to Trump say that, this, but, he would be crucified by the media. Crucified. Well, well, look, we can we can we can get into conjecture all day long about you know how the media would handle a story about Donald Trump in the same vein. I I, I can't disagree with you on that. However. The, the, the question becomes, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, the president of the United States, should he be subject to military law and the restrictions? I, I don't know if that necessarily comes into play. Now, should he have resigned and did he use his power and, and was was he sexually harassing or, or molesting a 22-year-old intern? Okay, now we've got a different discussion, you know, and... And the question becomes for me, and I don't know about you, Bill, but how is it that Hillary Clinton, when she so so loudly condemned Brett Kavanaugh on stories that were never corroborated, then does a, a, a an interview within a two-week period and says, no, her husband shouldn't because, um, well, it was consensual and she was an adult. I mean, how, how do you feel about what she said? Well, I don't, I don't think that what she said is, is right at all. I mean, she, the, he was accused of uh, raping some lady, too, and, and, you know, and Hillary stood up for him on that, too. So I, it's, it's, it, it goes across both party lines. Right. Um, but the abuse, I mean, no one is more powerful than the president of the United States. And, yes, she's an adult, but she was a 22-year-old adult. That is, I don't know, that's stretching the adult thing when you're talking about the president of the United States and the power well, and, and my, of that position. You know, and Bill, I raised this question earlier in the show when, when I heard that clip. I said, well, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, if you are pressuring somebody because you hold a position over them and you have power over them, this is not about adulthood. This is about being pressured. 
as a, as an employee. And if, you know, I, I've taken so many of these tests from HR departments when I was working in a big corporation, and it was very, very clear that there were lines that were not to be crossed, period. It had nothing to do with whether you were an adult or a child. You, 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 you can't do that to an adult, period. So, you know, the law is pretty clear. I don't know. But, uh, well, listen- I used to work in the civilian world, too, and you, you cannot date an employee. Yeah. Right? If you're the supervisor, you can't date. There's a reason for that. That mm-hmm. protects that poor employee. Right, right. All right, Bill, hey, listen, uh, thanks for the phone call. I do appreciate it. Uh, we are coming up on a break, uh, and we're going to talk more about the governor's race. I've got some new polling numbers out. You believe? Do you believe the polls? I mean, after 2016, what can we believe? Can we believe polls anymore? Um, so we're going to talk more about that and what some of the new polling numbers are, and we're going to play a few clips for for you from the governor's debate, whether or not you even knew they had one. I mean, it was like a they had a cup of coffee and they were done. And you, nobody saw it. No, it was in a radio studio. There were no pictures allowed. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll kind of get into the, uh, the craziness of the, of the at least the parameters. I don't know who who drew up the the the, the game, uh, the rules of this uh, game of of this debate. But it just seems so odd to me. Uh, phone number is nine one six nine two one fifteen thirty one eight hundred eight three four fifteen thirty. Your thoughts on the governor's race? We'll be taking calls on the other side. I'm Sam Shane. This is KFBK Weekend Live. Stay connected. News and analysis. KFBK Weekend Live. News Radio KFBK. So if you've got a job on Monday when you head back to work, are you going to go into work or do you work from home? Chances are, it's a good chance that you or someone you know probably is not going to make the commute. The traditional 9-to-5 job is dying. One in five office workers now work remotely. This is according to new research. More than half, that's about 57% of modern American office workers who were studied now have the ability to work remotely if they want to. Now, this study, you should note, was conducted by a group called OnePoll, in conjunction with GoToMeeting by LogMeIn. So they obviously are pushing for more people to work remotely because they provide these communication services so that people can do that. They don't have to go into the office. But get this, they examined the working habits of 3,000 office employees across America, the U.K., France, Germany, Australia, and New Zealand and India. And for American workers, 59%, that's, well, geez, 6 out of 10, revealed that they feel productive when they work remotely. Or maybe they just don't want to go into the the office. (laughs) What do you think about that? 916-921-1530-1800-834-1530. My name is Sam Shane. Uh, this program is called Weekend Live. We are here until 7 o'clock tonight. We are live in the KFBK studios. If you want to hear the whole show or just a portion of it, you can go to kfbk.com. You click on the podcast tab. It's at the top of the page, and you can take a listen in for more. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the race for governor in uh, California. And, you know, I've been trying to do research on polls, and they've been conducting polls here since about July. They've been very periodic in nature. In other words, 
there just hasn't been a lot of consistency and there's not been a lot of polling done, at least externally. Now, internally, you know that both of these candidates and their campaigns are doing lots of polling. That's always the case. Uh, In fact, two weeks ago, we got some information from um, a Republican who's running for Congress who said that there was some internal polling that indicated that yeah, or that uh, John Cox was within two and a half to three percentage points of Gavin Newsom, which would be within the margin of error, obviously. That's internal polling that was never, ever released to the public. Uh, so it's it's really hard to know if that's accurate or how much they rely upon it, who was polled, where they do the poll. Uh, but that said, I want to give you some of the latest numbers that we have received from external polling. And then we're going to get into some sound clips from both of our candidates. First of all, let's get to the poll very quickly here. And then we have uh, Dave on Red Bluff. He's waiting on line, so we're going to get to him before we move on to the clips. Uh, The opposition to President Donald Trump is giving Democratic Lieutenant uh, Governor Gavin Newsom a boost in the race for governor. While Trump's support is a liability for Republican businessman John Cox's campaign, this is according to a new poll released Wednesday by the USC Dornsife Los Angeles Times poll. It found that Newsom has a double-digit lead. 54% say that they will vote for Newsom or are leaning to do so. 31% in this poll say they'll vote for Cox or are leaning towards him. The poll found that two-thirds of likely voters disapproved of the job that Trump is doing. Okay, get that. Now remember this number because we're going to get back to this. The poll found that two-thirds of likely voters in California disapprove of the job that Trump is doing. Of those who said that supporter opposition to Trump's is a, quote, major driver in who they will vote for governor, two-thirds are supporting Newsom. Okay? So that's why we're hearing Newsom running against Trump. And he's been doing so since he won the primary. He's not running against John Cox. Maybe a little bit. But he's very, very quick to throw in Donald Trump, in just about any answer to any question. Now, here's the other side of this, and then we're going to get to Dave on the phone. The majority of likely voters in this poll said that jobs and the economic development were extremely important factors in their decision on who they'll support for governor. Okay, so the poll shows that Newsom has this pretty big lead, 54 to 31%. But then at the very bottom of this article, A majority of the voters said that jobs and economic development are extremely important. And that is exactly what John Cox is running on. So just as we suspected on this show, at least two or three months ago, we said it right here. You are going to hear Gavin Newsom run against Donald Trump, and you are going to hear John Cox run on the economy. And the polling bears it all out. And that's exactly where these two guys are going. Okay, more on that in a minute, but let's get to Dave. He's called in from Red Bluff, and he's been on hold. Hi, Dave. How are you on this evening? Excellent. Thank you. I'd like to present a theory. Let's look back in the past 1300s, 1500s. Guilds, they performed a task of taking craft work from small cottage industry, small shops, combining them together, and then providing them to artisans and craftsmen as an end product for them to use as raw materials. Okay. This is called the end work. In end work, meaning the work at the end, in place theory. Your work follows you. A carpenter, he goes to a job. 
The work follows you. If you can make the product at home and send it out, you make the product at home. This evolution of working at home, it's going to continue because people feel more comfortable in familiar surroundings. I, well, hey, Dave, feel- Dave, Dave, in addition to that, I mean, the, the age of the computer has just changed everything, right? Well, and also manufacturing computers right now, if you look around the world, computer components are oftentimes, quote-unquote, assembled at home by workers who do this by the piece, huh. and your computer was probably built in someone's home. <laughs> Come on, now come on, now wait. They do excellent work. Are you telling me that the my little smartphone, which is smarter than I am, was built in somebody's living room or oh, okay, okay. They'll they'll farm out the work to get them all the raw components, teach them how to do the work. They take it home and do this. There's many companies that do this stuff. It doesn't matter where you make the product as long as the product's okay to sell, right? And they check it out, no problem at all. But Mm -hmm. this is going to change the whole face of the working environment and also the social environment because while you're at work. Your buddy's going to be sitting there going like this. Hey, uh, yeah, and you're going to be talking to him. I'm right. my work. No big deal. He's off work. You're on work. But you know, this I, is going to change the whole landscape. You, you know, Dave, I ran, I ran into, I ran into a guy recently, and he and he worked from his home, and he worked in software development, and he. Oh, yeah, he but sure. now, 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 slow down. He said to me, "You know what? I, I, I miss being in the office. I miss, you know, just being with people." And so we're seeing now that people actually want to spend part-time maybe at home and part-time in the office. Maybe one one day a week, get together, have your prep and motivational meetings on Thursdays, and then Friday you go home and finish your work, and it's all wonderful. But the fact is, the resources that are devoted to heat an office, to cool an office, to maintain an office, right? This, this is going to be something in the future you're not going to need. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's going to be a sense of community that is going to be desired at some point. I, I just think oh, people yeah, do want yeah. to get together. Sure. No, definitely. They're going to want to get together. And, of course, they'll have email chats in between. People will be on breaks. Instant messenger, closed network chat, chat rooms. This is the, the future's here. Okay. And people have to remember one thing, though. If you separate yourself from social... You're going to become anti-social. Okay, David. So remember to keep thank the human you. interest in mind. I've, thanks. i got to run, Dave. I'm up against a hard clock here, but I appreciate it. Uh, this is Sam Shane on uh, Weekend Live on KFBK. The phone number here is 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. We do have to take a break. On the other side, we'll have clips from the debate between John Cox and Gavin Newsom and reaction. Back in a moment. So one of the most recent polls says that um, Gavin Newsom has a pretty good, sizable lead, 54% to 31%. Do you believe that? Do you believe the polls at all? I mean, after what happened in 2016, so many polls got it wrong. Does John Cox have a chance? What do you think about how this campaign has been run? What do you think about this uh, debate? Did you even hear it? Did Did you listen to it? Did you even know it existed? We'll get into details in a second. 916-921-1530-1800-834-1530. My name is Sam Shane. This is Weekend Live on KFBK. Okay, into the debate. In the California governor's race, this is the debate that may go down as the one that no one saw and hardly anyone heard. <laughs> it, it really is remarkable how it was almost shrouded in secrecy. It was a one-hour debate. One big hour, 60 big minutes. It took place at 10 o'clock in the morning. 10 o'clock in the morning. What? Maybe you were getting a cup of coffee, you were at work, or maybe you were working at home, as we just discussed. Did you even know it was out there? It was held at a public radio station in San Francisco. 
No cameras were allowed. It's the only debate that these two guys will have. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and John Cox, the Republican businessman. So we're going to get to a couple of clips because you probably didn't hear them. And we're 16 days away from election. Okay. First clip, Gavin Newsom, John Cox, talking about the high cost of housing in California and what to do about it. And first we'll hear from Newsom. What you heard from John is an illusory strategy uh, where he criticizes uh, and identifies problems, (laughs) but with all due respect, doesn't have the details and the strategies to actually solve it. So I went to the mailbox today, and I opened up the mailbox, and I got I don't know how many political flyers. I don't know how many you're getting. They just inundate you with these political flyers, and most of them are, they, they look slick, they're beautiful, they're produced well, and they have almost zero content. They tell you, oh, here's who's supporting me, and this is why you should vote for me, or this is why you should vote for or against the proposition. But they don't get into the meat of it because they don't have time. They just want to make it look good and make you feel good about their position, obviously. That's what they do. So among the many that I had in my stack was one from Gavin Newsom, and it was like this. It was like a three-page uh, release that they sent out. And it talked about how he had solutions for the housing problem. And I thought, oh, well, that works out well because we just pulled a clip that we're going to have on the show tonight talking about how, you know, he says John Cox doesn't give any details on how he's going to fix the housing problem. So I go through it, and I go through all three pages, and nowhere in the entire thing is there any solution. It says he has solutions, and here are the people who support him, but Newsom doesn't give any. He says he's going to get rid of regulations. And that's what he criticized John Cox for in the debate. I just kind of found that to be funny. Uh, Now we're going to talk a little bit more about John Cox because following that statement, John Cox fired back. You might have just heard the tail end, uh, the very beginning of that in the tail end of the last clip. Cox firing back now. He says that Newsom is supporting a system in housing that has too much red tape, too many regulations, and therefore is driving up the cost of housing in California. What, what you heard from Gavin is more government, more plans to pay out money from government. But if you don't really attack the cost of building, the delays in building, the litigation, what you're going to do is institutionalize these high rents. Okay, this is the topic where Cox feels comfortable. He wants to talk about the economy and the cost of living in California that he says is out of control. 916-921-1530, 1-800-834-1530. Is that going to be enough for him to win? Will that be enough? Can he just run on the economy? Because that's where he's going to keep going, and that's where he felt comfortable in this debate. That's the strategy that he has had since the very beginning, and if you look at that USC poll that just came out, a majority of the people who were polled said that the economy And the cost of living, the cost of housing in California is extremely important to them. Is it important to you? Would you change your vote or would you keep your vote based on the economy alone? Is that enough for Cox to win? Is is he an attractive enough candidate for him to win? Or does Newsom hold the day? Are these polls right on? Is 12% or 15% or whatever some of the numbers are out there, is that that the spread we're going to see on election night? Or could there be a surprise, the blue wave, the red wave? Everybody's talking about a wave coming up here. We've also seen from the Newsom camp this strategy 
of tying John Cox to Donald Trump. And we said this the night that Newsom won the primary because it was his first soundbite when he came up. And he started talking about Donald Trump because he knows that Donald Trump is not popular in the state of California particularly. The poll that we just heard from USC says 67% of people are not in favor of Donald Trump and disapprove of of what he's doing. That does not mesh necessarily with a lot of the other parts of the country. And you will notice we didn't see Donald Trump out here, nor do we see Joe Biden. Both of those guys were in Nevada. That's a close race. Both parties realize that California may not have enough close races that they need to invest here. Florida is going to be critical, critical state. Colorado has been. Nevada has been. Minnesota has been. So they've now identified in Washington, D.C. and at the party headquarters where they're going to go and where they're going to spend their money and get their biggest bang for the buck. And so now we see Newsom, and he's continuing on this theme, and he did it in the debate, and he did it on primary night, and he's done it between ever since then and up until today, and he'll do it the rest of the way through. He'll be running against Donald Trump because that's where he can win. And that's the message you're going to continue to hear from him and his campaign. So both men sticking to their strategies. We'll play one clip here and we'll get to the other one on the other side of the break, okay? They're sticking to the strategies throughout the campaign. Cox, again, this is going to be John Cox, emphasizing the economy. And he was critical in this debate because he believed that the questions that were asked in this one-hour debate that no one saw and hardly anyone heard, he said that the questions were missing the point in his point of view. I think the important issues in this race are the affordability for people in this state, the ability to live a productive life and afford gasoline and water and electricity and you know uh, the failing schools that we're having to put up with. I think those are far more important issues. But are those issues that he talks about enough to motivate a base to come in and vote for him and, and catapult him into the governorship in what is clearly a deep blue state? Or is it that deep? Who knows? I mean, a moderate Republican can win here. Ronald Reagan won here. Pete Wilson won here. It can happen. It's not unheard of. But the rest of the country categorizes California as a deep blue state. That's the way it's viewed. And John Cox thinks that he can turn that ship on the economy and the issues that he just discussed, schools, fixing those. But what, I mean, is that realistic or is this going to be a referendum on the Republican Party in California this next election cycle? And how does this state match up against other states? I Look, there are so many unknowns going into next week or into the next election, which is 16 days away. A little more than two weeks now. I think Kavanaugh hearing is going to have an impact. I think some of the uncivil behavior is going to have an impact. I think that what Trump has tweeted and said over the first almost two years of his presidency is going to have an impact. Okay, this is the last segment. 6.50 is the time here on a Saturday evening. Got about eight minutes, so we got a lot to cram in here before we say... Goodbye for at least tonight. Uh, with that, let's quickly get to the phones. Uh, we have Kathy from uh, Roseville who joins us this evening. Hi, Kathy. How are you? What are your thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, I wanted to share that my mom, who's over 80, has always voted Democrat all the way down the, the line. And this year she said it's time for a change hmm. and she wants to vote for a Republican governor. Is she? And she because she's from California. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. She just, she just says that our California government needs a change. Do you, Kathy, do you... I was shocked. You, well, yeah. I, I mean, especially for all these years, she's been voting Democrat. Do, do you get a feeling that that's... Did she say that any of her friends were feeling the same way she is? I mean, does she? do you feel like this is a trend, or is this an outlier? I think it's a trend. Like I said, she's she's voted D her whole life. Mm, okay. She just doesn't like what's happening in California. I'll be darned. Kathy, thank because you. She, she'd, yeah, be, yeah. she'd be blue dog. Blue dog. <laughs> all yeah. right. All right. All right, Kathy, thanks a lot. Appreciate the phone call from uh, Roseville. Chris from Carmichael calls in on a Saturday evening. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm hey, well. So I think I think that uh, I think that a lot of the Republicans are moving out of California, and um, I'd love for people to put two and two together and say, you know, what? it's just not going to work. Um, Gavin Newsom uh, is our governor. Businesses are going to leave. Our taxes are going to go through the roof. But um, I, I just think that people vote with their hearts, and people will will say, uh, I don't mind voting with the, against my own self interest. People will say, uh, Gavin Newsom's running against Trump. And uh, I don't like the, what they're doing to children in, at the border and blah, 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 blah. And mm. we're like, well, that's, that's, not, that's not the issue. You know, the issue is, you know, how much you're paying in taxes. The issue, the issue is how poorly our schools are doing. Yeah, that's what, is, that's what Cox wants it to be the issue about. And uh, as you said, yeah. Newsom wants it to be about Trump. And we're going to see how this plays out. Uh, but, you know, you make, yeah. you make a good point. Maybe Republicans are leaving California and aren't going to show up at the ballot box because they're not here. They're not here. They're, they're all leaving with all the businesses, you know. Huh. All right, Chris, thanks a lot. Appreciate the call from Carmichael. Good call in tonight. Uh, let's play that last final clip then of uh, Gavin Newsom because Chris just brought that up and we brought this up many times. He's running against Donald Trump. Here we go. No, I, I certainly think we represent the vast majority of Californians that reject uh, John Cox's uh, uh, absolute allegiance to Trump and Trumpism. There it was. That was the uh, clip from the debate. The one-hour debate that nobody saw and hardly anybody heard. <laughs> okay, I want to get to this uh, because Chris brought up a little bit about the border and it's become an issue. Um, obviously, there's this caravan that's making its way from Guatemala uh, through Mexico. And their goal is to get into the United States, and it's an issue that the Trump administration is now dealing with. The leaders of Mexican government, Guatemala, are all are, are sitting down right now and trying to figure out what to do. Some of the moms and children have been separated. Some have been turned back. So it's, it's, a, it's a really rapidly developing, evolving story as we speak. Uh, but it's, it's clearly top of mind when you talk about border control. And with that, I want to get to what House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi said at Harvard this past week. On Tuesday, she talked about this border patrol, border control, and border wall. She said that there's nothing that she would trade for President Donald Trump's border wall. Quote, it happens to be like a manhood issue for the president, she said, building a wall, and I'm not interested in that. She said this at the Harvard Kennedy School's Institute of Politics. Pelosi emphasized that Democrats do support border security, but they would prefer to look at strengthening existing security measures as part of a comprehensive overall immigration law reform. 
So with that, we have one more audio clip I want to get to responding to Nancy Pelosi this week, making her comments at Harvard that there is no need for a wall. She won't trade anything for a wall between the United States and Mexico as President Trump is pushing for, as we all know. Here's Newt Gingrich. We know that he's a Republican. We know that he's a former Speaker of the House, and he told Fox News that Pelosi's comments were a gift to Republicans as the election draws near. All of the so-called experts on television who are wrong in 2016 are back this year as confident as they were when they were totally wrong in 2016. Nancy Pelosi yesterday gave the Republicans the greatest gift she could have given them. Uh, Her quotes at Harvard, in which she explained you don't really need borders, uh, that after all you ought to be friends with everyone, uh, and that wanting to have a wall is just a macho thing. That, that is as clear a statement of the insanity of the open borders Democratic Party as we could possibly get. Gingrich had more to say. We're going to play this clip and cram it in. Gingrich said that we should expect Republicans to campaign on border security, and he cited both Pelosi and Senator Dianne Feinstein in this clip. If the Republicans double down and focus on Kevin McCarthy's bill to to bring up in December that would allow us to control the border and compare that with the Pelosi-Feinstein position of totally open borders at a time when you have a caravan of thousands of people coming out of Central America, and then the American citizens can decide. You want sanctuary cities, you want MS-13, you want fentanyl and, and opioids, you want literally an unending flood of, of immigrants uh, from all over the planet, vote Democrat. Uh, and on the other hand, if you think America has the right to control its border, vote Republican. See, the untold story from election night is going to be this. We don't know yet, but it, we're going to get an answer on election night. How much in line is California with the rest of the country? And where does the rest of the country stand on these issues? Is Gingrich right? Is what Pelosi says? At Harvard, will, will that serve to energize the base of those who support Trump and those who support a border wall? Or will Pelosi energize her base? And how does the rest of the country respond? Where are those pockets of response that differ? And how does California fall in line? Is it like the most recent caller we just had who said, I mean, we just heard from two callers. One woman said, my mom has been voting Democrat her whole life. She's going to vote for a Republican governor this time. It's time for a change. Are we going to see that in California? I just, I don't know. I I think that there are going to be some big surprises. One way or the other, hard to gauge, because the polls are all over the place. It's going to be quite a night, and we're going to be here. At KFBK, my name is Sam Shane. This is Weekend Live. Thanks a lot for joining us. We're here every Saturday night from 5 to 7. Hope you have a great week, and as they say, we will talk with you later.